8.5%, down from 60 to 70%. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Big banks. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where well, you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's Money for Nothing with me, Peter Lewis. World equity markets rebound as investors eye accommodative monetary policy in the US and China. The Shanghai Composite Index rallies to a seven-year high. And Greek Prime Minister Cyprus tells Parliament he seeks an honourable compromise but will not capitulate. So it's a packed programme this morning. We'll start with a review of the surging Hong Kong and China markets with our local market commentator, Dickie Wong of Kingston Securities. Then we'll look at the latest snapshot of the global economy with Luca Silipo, Asia-Pacific Chief Economist at Texas, And our final guest is from the robotics industry. Rex Sham, co-founder of Insight Robotics, joins us. Enzio von Feil from Private Capital is our guest host today. Good morning, Enzio. Morning to you, Peter. So, Enzio, there appears to be a common theme over the last 24 hours to the markets. We've seen some universally poor um, economic data from around the world, Japan, China and the US, but the response has been for equity markets to surge. What do, what do you make of that? Basically, because the global economic time does seem to be stabilising, one sees this very clearly in the OECD leading economic indicators that were released at the end of March, at the end of, um, well, just the last couple of days. And I think that you will find also this excess supply of money of central banks, irresponsibly in my mind, just printing more and more money. This money has to go into some form of an asset. So I think it's onwards and upwards. So we're still in a a bad news is good news environment by the sounds of it? Well, I think no news is good news, I would say. (laughs) Not not necessarily bad news. That comes later, Peter. Okay. (laughs) And here's some of that disappointing economic data. U.S. consumer spending rose just 0.1% in February and below forecast. And at the same time, personal income rose by 0.4%, sending the U.S. savings rate to its highest level since 2012. This latest data suggests that Americans are saving rather than spending the benefits of lower gasoline prices. This is bad news since spending accounts for 65% of the US economy and will put further downward pressure on US GDP. Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi Chief Economist Chris Rupke explains why the US consumer isn't spending. It looks like they are waiting for spring as they continue to bank almost all their paychecks during this cold winter where most did not venture outside. Remarkable, really. One thing's for certain, the consumer has substantial firepower and is likely to go on quite a shopping spree in coming months as the economy thaws and we move into spring. The Dow Jones Industrial Average had its best day in two months, closing up 263 points, or 1.5%, at 17,976. The S&P 500 closed up 25 points to 2,086. The energy sector led the gains there. And the Nasdaq traded up 56 points to 4,947. Brent crude, the global oil benchmark, fell half a percent to $56.13 a barrel, while WTI, the US oil benchmark, slipped 0.8% to $48.48 a barrel. 
The dollar resumed its upward march. The US dollar index, a measure of the currency against its largest trading partners, climbed 0.8% to 98.05. Gold fell 1% to $1,185 per ounce. Wells Fargo Funds Funds Management Chief Equity Strategist Don Manley thinks the bull market is not over. Bear markets, to really be bear markets, have to go down a lot. And to go down a lot, you have to start with deeply embedded optimism and end with deeply embedded pessimism. You sort of need that ambit, that swing. And if you have deeply embedded optimism, you don't have markets that go down like they did last week. In the last five bear markets, going back to the 60s, extended bear markets, they went down on average close to 50%. But you could have sold on average within 5% of the high 22 weeks after the peak. So that's four, four and a half months. So it takes a while to sort of grind it away. It's not something that just pops and goes down and never comes back again. That's extremely unusual. It happened in 87, that was, that, that, but that's yeah. fluke. That was straight up and straight down. That was the pinnacle. Uh, but usually bear markets take a while to develop. And I'd actually think that what we saw in the last few months, uh, going back for the last couple of years actually, these nasty, brutish and short corrections, shallow corrections, are very typical, what we used to call bull market corrections. Greece prepares to finalise its list of economic reforms to present to its creditors. The reforms are needed to secure additional bailout cash before Greece runs out of money, likely on the 20th of April. The reforms proposed by Athens claim the country will raise an extra €3 billion without resorting to cuts in wages and pensions. Both the Greek opposition and Eurozone finance ministers are sceptical. Here's Morgan Stanley's head of global FX strategy, Hans Redeka. Now, the big question for the northern European uh, policy leaders is, is Greece trying to monetize irrevocability? So that actually means, uh, try they, do they try to say, if you wanted to keep us uh, with you, then you have to pay for that. And of course, that uh, would be not tolerated by uh, northern European uh, countries. So you would have a sleepwalking process where Greece uh, would be walking out of the currency union. To be perfectly clear, a weak Greece uh, staying in the currency union is uh, more negative for the euro than an alternative situation where Greece would be out and then you would have, um, as a result of that, a political response, a roadmap uh, towards uh, a political union in Europe and strengthening of the institutions in Europe. Berenberg Chief Economist Christian Schultz tells us about his worries. What I'm really worried about is for the longer run for Greece, even if they do stay in the euro, that uh, at the moment we have a situation where the Troika says you need to cut spending, you need to do austerity and you need to do structural reforms. And the Greeks are saying, no, we don't want to do either. And the compromise, a good one could be you do more structural reforms and less austerity. But it looks at the moment like we get the other way around. We get more austerity. The Greeks are proposing to increase VAT and reform the, the tax rate but less structural reforms, and that would be the worst case for both, for, for both the Eurozone, but especially, of course, for Greece. The Shanghai Composite Index rallied to its highest level since March 2008. The index climbed 2.6% to 3,787 as China's central bank, the PBOC, said that they would have to be vigilant against the risk of deflation, and there was room for further monetary stimulus. The Shanghai Composite has gained 17% this year, but its sister market in Shenzhen, as measured by the Shenzhen Composite Index, has shot up 37% so far this year. That makes it the best-performing stock market in the world this year. Josh Klakshek is head of Asian financial research at JP Morgan. He expects the PBCOC to take more action, which will help boost the market further. So I think part of the rally today is, you know, investors looking for more stimulus and looking for the PBOC to try to get market rates down. 
And certainly there's a bigger risk on deflation, uh, something that the PBOC actually mentioned this weekend at the Economic Forum. When you look at PPI, has now been negative for 34 months and is at negative 5%. When you look at you know, CPI, is just 1.4%. When you look at house prices down 6% year on year, I think all the signs there are there in terms of you know, asset deflation and the need for more policy to actually stimulate the economy. The PBOC has stepped in to reverse measures enacted in 2010 to curb property price speculation. The central bank lowered the down payments people with an existing mortgage pay on their second home loan to 40% from 50%. The finance ministry also expanded a capital gains tax exemption to include sellers who have owned their home for just two years rather than the previous five-year minimum. The Shanghai Property Shares Index rose 7.3% on the back of these changes. Let's now bring in our China markets expert, Dickie Wong, research director at Kingston Securities. Good morning, Dickie. Good morning. So the Shanghai market has almost doubled in 13 months. Shenzhen's up 37% so far this year. Are we in bubble territory yet, or are valuations still reasonable? Okay, if you talk about the valuation now, I can tell you um, the Chinese stock market um, is simply not cheap at all. Uh, If we talk about the Shanghai Composite, now it's trading at 15 times P.E., uh, whereas the um, Shenzhen is trading at 27. So the Shenzhen one, basically, there's some kind of bubble, um, especially for those like um, small and medium-sized company, they're trading at sky-high valuation. But I mean, I'm concerned about the valuation. Uh, I mean, um, the Asia market is on the right track because, as we can see, there's basically a lot of positive news um, in the just past uh, one month. As we all know, the two meetings and also the Belt and Road and yesterday, um, actually last Friday, the China Securities Regulatory Commission, they unveiled new plans. Uh, simply that um, those um, Chinese um, funds, um, like mainland funds company, they don't have to um, um, have to be approved um, by the um, qualified domestic institutional investor program. So they don't need any QTII quarters, they can just invest the Hong Kong stock market directly. As we all know, there's a step discount on H-share. So this is definitely a very big good news for H-share market. Because if we talk about the Hang Seng uh, H-share in, in, index, 35% premium over the H-share. I mean, the A-share the, the, the share price now trading. So, so it's definitely give a big boost to the X share. So I, I do think there's some kind of room uh, for the X share to, to rise in the short term, like um, for those companies um, unveiled um, better than expected earnings report, like China Live, Ping On, and also um, like uh, High Tong Securities and stuff. So, so, so Dickie, so, have a bull run. So Dickie, the, the H share premium, as you mentioned, is, is uh, the A share premium is now at 34%. Obviously, internationally, investors should buy Hong Kong China shares in Hong Kong rather than Shanghai but for for Chinese retail investors they do have a mechanism now don't they to buy H shares through the uh, the Hong Kong Shanghai Connect but they still seem to prefer buying expensive A shares Why, why is that? Well, because the A-share market is simply driven by local investors, and they, they just believe on one thing, not P.E., not P.B., but momentum. So they just pull in their money into what, this, what kind of stock they believe they will just skyrocket in a very short term period of time. So, uh, but honestly speaking, value investors will come back. So um, A-shares now is very low. Um, like the Hang, uh, I mean the Hang Seng um, China um, index, 
Um, it's only trading at the eight share index now. It's only trading at less than nine times forward PE. So this is definitely an extremely low valuation. So if you ask me, I'll just um, give a strong buy to X share now. Okay, Dickie, what specific ends of on file here? What specific government measures do you think the PBOC will take to ease monetarily, and over what time frame, please? Okay, last time when I, I were in the show, I forecasted that uh, PBOC will sh- sooner or later have another interest rate cut. They they did it last time, and uh, it was a parallel cut. So I will believe within two months, another um, triple R cut um, will do. I mean, the PBOC because now inflation is is not something they have to be concerned, but. Seven percent. I mean, around seven percent of um, annual growth of the GDP. They have to do something. They cannot just sit and wait. So, an other triple R cut within two months. So, thank you very much, Dicky. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. That's Dicky Wong. Thank you. Thank you. Research director at Kingston Securities. Let's take a quick look at the markets in Asia. As expected, they're rallying on the back of uh, Wall Street's lead. In Japan, the Nikkei is up 177 points to 19,589. In Australia, the ASX is up 69 points to 5,885 and in Seoul the Cosby is up 14 points to 2,044 in the currency markets the yen is trading at 120 against the US dollar the euro um, buys $1.08 and the British pound will buy you 11.47 Hong Kong dollars What is the most important thing to consider when making investments? You need to understand the features and risks of any investment product. Always weigh the risks against potential returns or you may risk losing all your money. Even if you get professional advice, it is still your responsibility to exercise vigilance, to protect your own interests, ask questions and think thoroughly before you invest. Know the risks, understand your responsibilities, think before you invest. To learn more about investment, please visit the Investor Education Center website www.hkiec.hk. This is Money for Nothing on RTHK Radio 3, where the time is 8.17. Factory orders in Japan have declined more than expected in February. Japan's industrial production fell 3.4% month-on-month, worse than expectations of a 1.8% decline. The latest poor economic reading comes after data showed that Japan is close to deflation. Despite the poor numbers, the Nikkei 225 closed up 125 points, or 0.65%, as investors bet that the weaker economy would lead to more stimulus from the Bank of Japan. Head of financial markets research for Asia-Pacific at Rabobank, Michael Every, is of the same view. They keep beating the drum and saying that the recovery is here and it's going to continue to build from here, but I actually don't think it is, I don't think it will, and I think ultimately they'll be shifting back to doing even more QE. It depends on how badly the data deteriorate and what happens with oil prices, um, but I do think they'll probably have to take another big step forward, similar to what we saw last year uh, in, in their Halloween surprise. So let's have a look at some of these economic issues more closely now with Luca Silipo, who is Asia-Pacific Chief Economist at Natixis. Good morning, Luca. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. So, Luca, let's start with Japan, because once again, we've seen poor economic data. Industrial production data in Japan is notoriously volatile. But nevertheless, what can we deduce from this on top of the recent uh, poor retail sales and consumer spending number about the state of Japan's economy? Well, I'm not right often, but I was right on this one. 
um, two years ago when uh, when the first sign of economics were filtering through uh, through the news and through the market uh, we have been consistently negative on this and we have we have put put the accent on something that was completely neglected at the beginning of economics which is wages which is uh, labor market reform and so forth and so now we see the the results of I would say a irresponsible uh, economic policy um, a kind of a mix of uh, Keynesian, not Keynesian, monetary. So it's, it's kind of like a, t- a t- two-headed monster that actually killed for now uh, the uh, the Japanese economy. What you're seeing in data month after month is that the, the necessary push by domestic demand is not there and will not be there if you continue to have this kind of policy. So, Enzio, you're a sell money man as well. I, I suspect you agree with that. Isn't I do, but look at what specific reform measures do you think Japan should take to get the economy going again? Uh, definitely. Uh, I think there are two. One on the labor market and then one is related to the labor market. On the labor market, you have to end this dualistic labor market or end or trying to reduce, uh, trying to reduce, you know, the, 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 the impenetrability of the, uh, those permanent contract, those uh, lifelong contract that you have in Japan and try to increase uh, the, uh, the mood of, of temporary workers and try to give them more stability. I think that look, look at what Italy has done with this uh, growing guarantees contract. This is a very interesting uh, a feature that Japan can try to copy. And the measure that is related to the labor market is definitely on taxation. We cannot continue as Abe is doing to to, to try to convince CEO to pay more than employees. We have to have a taxation system that actually do that for you and do that automatically. So you have to increase um, taxes, maybe on corporate profits or corporate savings for sure, and you have to decrease uh, taxes on labor to, uh, you know, to, to value, uh, to convince CEOs and companies to value more work, which is what they're go- what is what what is going to buy their products by the way so you mentioned europe there greece is back in the headlines again where we've got uh, ongoing negotiations between the, the the greeks and the uh, and the eurozone finance ministers can greece deliver on the reforms that the eurogroup is looking for uh, maybe i think i think that the, 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 the what what we really have to discuss is beyond this so what is the future of greece in the european union because greece can definitely deliver on single promises what greece cannot deliver on is to be uh, solvent again solvent by itself because the improvement that we see in current account in the last uh, four uh, four years so an improvement in uh, apparent sustainability of the uh, Greek economy and Greek external accounts is mostly due to the big recession they had. Once this this country starts growing more, uh, there will be the same imbalance uh, uh, again. So I think that what, and and your previous segment explained it very well and put the accent very well on how are we going to organize 
the uh, membership of Greece in the future to the currency union, and this is indeed very difficult. So, so the nub of the matter is really that whatever reforms Greek, uh, Greece takes, whatever they try and do, it's just it's not really a liquidity issue. The fact of the matter is there is no amount of economic growth that's going to allow them to pay back the amounts that, that, that they owe to their creditors, not in our lifetimes anyway. The, the problem of economic growth, you know, is what I said before. So if you start growing, then you start importing and your, your current account will deteriorate because you actually don't have anything to export. You don't have capital inflows to rebalance your, your, your external accounts. And so you have the problem once, uh, once again. You know, Greek people have actually voted uh, for, for, for more growth. And I think that, you know, democratically they should have it. The problem is that this is not compatible as of now and as of probably the next 10 years with continued membership to the, to the European Union or to the European Monetary Union if, uh, you know, countries are not able to uh, support on a permanent basis uh, Greece. And you? Luca, do you support Greece's in my mind, game-playing by going to the Russians and trying to get some money off them on the 8th of April? Uh, obviously, this would be a tragedy for European Monetary Union and European Union. It would be a defeat on several grounds, geopolitical, economic defeat. So definitely, I think that Europe has, has to avoid this. And I think that, you know, in the short term, the only way out of this is absolutely give Greece the money that it needs. There is actually no way out than this. I think that, uh, as I was saying before, we have to think at least in a medium-term perspective what is Greece membership uh, doing to Greece, what it is doing to Euro, what is it doing to, uh, you know, geopolitical balances. Greece, Greece is a small country, but it's, on the, it's in between the East and the West of Europe, uh, so it's very close to Russia, and in this moment you really don't want this kind of uh, destabilization, okay. even by a small country as, as Greece, an important one, though. Okay, that's all we have time for. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this topic a lot more in the future. Thanks to Luca Silippo, Asia-Pacific Chief Economist at Natixis. You're listening to Money for Nothing. The time is 8.24. Each year, the Hong Kong Science and Technology Parks Corporation steers startup companies through its flagship incubation program. The aim is to help young entrepreneurs add to the development and, in, in, and, uh, add to the development and innovation of technology in Hong Kong. One of the companies that graduated from the program five years ago and is now going from strength to strength is Insight Robotics. We're joined now by the company's co-founder, Rex Sham. Good morning, Rex. Good morning. So, Rex, tell us a little bit about Insight Robotics. What does the company do and why did you set it up? So, Insight Robotics is actually a company that uh, focuses on big data collection and big data analysis on uh, forestry and agriculture. So, we use robots to detect forest fire in China and we are expanding our market into Mexico, Australia, Canada in the uh, coming year. So, um, we also have drones that flies over the agriculture land to help uh, the farmers or agriculture companies to find out the uh, insects and uh, uh, disease invasion uh, that is happening inside their uh, agriculture land. So they can save more insecticides and save um, quite a lot in the uh, uh, nutrients that are being added to the to the farmland. No. 
You've caught the attention of IBM because you won the 2014 Entrepreneur of the Year Award at the IBM Smart Camp Global Finals in Las Vegas. So tell us, first of all, what are the Smart Camp events? The Smart Camp event actually is a uh, technology startup event started by uh, IBM. So in different uh, competition uh, uh, sec- sections, they, they, are, they separate the world into like seven or eight uh, areas and each of the area will have their local competition where all the startups will come up with their project idea and tell everyone uh, what, what they are doing. Uh, they will analyze on the commercial side of the um, uh, business and also on the te- innovation and the technology side of the competition. So, so you went through a series of smart camp events and, and then ended up in the, the finals in Las Vegas. What was the product that actually won you the award at, at that event? So that one is the wildfire detection robot that we um, uh, developed in three years ago when, uh, when we joined the incubation program in Hong Kong Science Park. And, and, and how does this robot actually um, sort of work? Does it work from the sky or is it, uh, you know, planted around sort of uh, forest areas and uh, around the country? So basically they are stationary robots that stays on top of the towers uh, located in the forest. Some of the towers are being built by the forestry and some towers are actually the telecom communication towers. So we rented the the top layer of those uh, telecom communication towers and we put our robots there then it will scan the forest for uh, 24 hours a day so this sounds very innovative do you, do you have any rivals in this field uh for rivals in in this field is the cheap labor in, in some <laughs> right. kind some some developing countries and but for now young people are, are not willing to stay in the forest to look <laughs> for fires I was going to ask about that, Rex, The whether you have, do you find, given your experience, that there's sufficient intellectual infrastructure or intellectual software in Hong Kong to really promote your business, to, to get others to go out there and, and, and work in this tech, innovative world of yours? Uh, I don't think we, we, we do really have that that. that uh uh, uh, advantage in Hong Kong at this moment, but I, I think that uh, uh, we, we're getting better. For for why don't for, we have it? Uh, I think in the in the old times we we don't seldom have R and D in Hong Kong, and uh, investors are not patient enough to wait for the results uh, that you start the research from scratch to a product. So most of the investors that we met like three or four years ago, they say when you have a prototype or when you have a product, come and find me. So if I have the product and have the prototype, I already have burned quite a lot of money myself. Does the educational system allow for this intellectual capacity here, this intellectual infrastructure? I think yes, because uh, uh, the universities are changing from three years to four years now, and most of the students have more time in doing their own research uh, during their studies. Uh, And there are quite a lot of co-working space, uh, either organized by the commercial sector, or, uh, private sector, or the NGOs. And quite a lot of university students try to have their own startup uh, during their studies uh, in this co-working space. And they do really have um, a pretty wide, uh, broad view of the, of the world. Um, and I think communication is uh, quite good in Hong Kong. 
Okay, thank you very much, Rex. Congratulations on winning the award. That's Rex Sham, co-founder of Insights Robotics. Let's take a final look at the markets. The Nikkei is up 133 points to 19,545. The ASX is up 78 points to 5,895. And the Cosby is up 14 points to 2,044. In the commodity markets, gold is trading at $1,184 per ounce. And Brent crude oil is at $56 a barrel. So, NGO, surging equity markets, high expectations of more cheap money from the world's central banks. Are the markets going to remain excited? I think they will, particularly China, China and China. I think that there's going to be quite a bit of movement going on there. I think that probably also, sadly, Europe and Japan will continue motoring off the back of this fluff of the tin can of extra money being kicked down the road. Sadly, no reforms are going to be taking place. So Europe remains a welfare museum and Japan remains a mausoleum of zombies. Thank you very much, Enzio. That's Enzio von Farrell, investment strategist at Private Capital, our guest host for today. I'm Peter Lewis, wrapping up Money for Nothing for this morning. Before we go, the weather in Hong Kong, it's going to be mainly cloudy with one or two showers, humid with fog in the morning and at night, and sunny intervals during the day with a maximum temperature of around 26 degrees. And now the half-hour news with Samantha Butler. Negotiators in Switzerland are working late into the night to try to secure a deal on Iran's nuclear program by a deadline at the end of today. Foreign ministers from six world powers are pressing the Iranians to limit their atomic work in exchange for easing sanctions. The BBC's Barbara Pletusher is at the talks in Lausanne, Switzerland. Negotiators have never been closer to resolving tensions over Iran's nuclear program that have festered for 12 years. In the latest round of talks, the six global powers seeking a deal with Iran have made progress on steps to curb and monitor its production of enriched uranium, which can be used to make the core of a nuclear warhead. But with the deadline fast approaching, the U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry said negotiators would be working late into the night to try and resolve tricky issues that remain. These include the pace of sanctions relief, as well as the nature of restrictions on Iran's